John chapter number 13, and um, so if you'll recall over the last several weeks where we've been on Wednesday night when I've been preaching, we've kind of been making a little study of this thing of faith, and I want to bring you another uh, message on that tonight entitled, Your Faith and God's love, your faith and God's love. And so it's probably going to be a rather rather uh, long introduction this evening, but I want to kind of get down to the third point is really kind of where we want to land tonight. But uh, just by way of review, you know, when we first started this months and months ago, I think it was on a Sunday morning, we spoke about justification. And what we say justification was justification, justification is where God declares us righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad that we can be declared righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And then we looked at our journey of faith and we talked about the walk of faith and how this Christian life, it is a walk. It is a journey. It's a, it should be a daily walk. And we talked about how really our walk should witness. It should be a testimony to others. And then we also looked at uh, our faith and the Word of God. We looked at our faith and the Bible, and we talked about how the Bible is reliable, and it is, it's a book that renews us. It's a book that's resilient. You know, they've tried to destroy the Bible. They've tried to burn the Bible. They've tried to ban the Bible and banish the Bible and all these different things throughout the years, but the Bible still stands today, and we have God's very Word right with us today, and I'm thankful for that. Then we looked at a showing faith. We used the, the illustration about Abraham and Isaac upon the Mount Moriah and how he, he was willingly ready to go and offer up his very own son, Isaac. And then, you know, there was a ram in the thicket and it came out. And you know what? Our faith and our works should go hand in hand. You know, our faith shouldn't be way over here and then our works should be over here. They should be united. And if we have faith, we should be working. And we said that James teaches us that faith alone saves. I mean, there's nothing else we have to do to be born again other than faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But James also teaches us that faith that saves should not be alone. There should be some works with it. I mean, our life should back up the fact that we are saved, that we know the Lord is Savior, and we should have uh, works that, that hey, they, 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 they don't lie on us. They tell, they tell who we are, and our works tell others who we are. And then we looked at the resolve of our faith, and we talked about the three Jewish children, the three Hebrew children, if you will, and how they refused to bow down. You remember the story how uh, the king said, hey, when you hear the music, you need to bow down and worship me. And they were resolved. They said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow. And, you know, faith declares what they say. They say, hey, God is able. And I like that kind of faith that just said, hey, God can do anything but fail. And they said, God is able. Then, he said, then they also said, you know, God will deliver us. They had that kind of faith. But you know what? That third point, they said, faith declares, but if not. And, you know, sometimes in our life there is an if not. You know, sometimes we pray for a certain thing and we just think, boy, God is going to do this. And it seems to never happen. But these three Hebrew children taught us, hey, God, God is able. He can do it. They said, hey, he's, he will do it. But they said, but if not, and they said, we're not going to serve those gods. We're not going to bow down. They were resolved in their faith as far as serving God. And then we looked at the, the night before we thought maybe we were going to have job fair, and then we had a little bit of weather. But we said that, you know, uh, our ministry of faith, our faith should want to work even in a local church. Our, we should work for him. Why? 
because he works in us. And so when we get saved, we want to work for him because we want to bring honor and glory to him. We, we don't want to just uh, sit and be idle, but we want to work for him. And then we looked at our faith through discouragement. And we said, we can have faith through discouragement. I mean, there's going to be times where maybe there's adversity and there's uncertainty and maybe there's times of stress or maybe times of fear in our life. But we can have faith through those times of discouragement. And then we also looked at the fact and how we should live humbly. And we spoke a little bit about pride. And I don't know about you, but boy, we need to be careful of that thing called pride. Boy, somebody, maybe somebody gets a little short with us, and we immediately want to think, boy, I'm not going to let them talk to me like that. Or we think, or we think boy, do, you, do they know who I am? What, that's nothing but pride. Let's live humbly before each other. Then we, then we say we should live helpfully. You know, my life should point my family to Christ. My life should point others to Christ. My, my life should point uh, my loved ones to Christ. Let's live helpfully, and then also let's live honorably. You know, in these last days that we're living in, the world's looking to the church and saying, hey, are you going to bring honor to Christ? Are you going to, you know, what you claim on Sunday, do you live that on Monday? The world's looking to us for that. And tonight I want to look at this thing of your faith and God's love. Your faith and God's love. As a way uh, to, to use this verse, I want to use this verse as a springboard. John chapter number 13, the Bible says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved them unto the end. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll delve right into this this evening. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the scriptures. God, thank you for this passage of scripture where we, we see and we can read that you loved them unto the end. God, thank you for your, your love, God. And I pray that as we look and scratch around in these, this verse, Lord, and, and, and God, I pray that you'd help us to realize your love, God. And no doubt many of us understand it to some degree, but Lord, it's something that we can't explain, God. And I pray that you'd help us to live for you because of that love. I pray that you'd guide my mouth tonight, Lord. I pray that you'd guide my mind, Lord. Give me liberty, Lord, as I preach the word of God. I pray that we might go out of here wanting to do more for you because of being here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we read in this verse, this latter part of the verse, where he loved them unto the end. And he's speaking about the disciples here. And we see it's right there in the book. I mean, we have access to the word of God. And there's something about the word of God. It's given by inspiration. What do we say a few weeks ago? That the word of God has been given to us, you know, with the different apostles and the different men of God. They wrote the word of God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's God breathed. That word theonoustos. God breathed. And so we have the word of God. And we see here that God, Jesus Christ himself, never stopped loving the disciples. You know, in life, is there anything better than being loved unconditionally by somebody? I mean, to know that there's at least one person in your life that loves you unconditionally. I think about my life, and that, that uh, I have probably several somebodies in my life that love me unconditionally. But for most of you that are married, you probably say immediately, it's your spouse. And I pray that that's the case. But I'm thankful for a spouse that loves me unconditionally. 
You know, there might be times where maybe I fail and maybe I'm not the husband that I should be. Maybe I'm not as kind as I should be or maybe what, I'm not what I could be to her. But you know what? She loves me unconditionally. Over these past 21 years, I've had a sweet wife by my, by my side and she's loved me and she's supported me. And, and there's been times where we've gone out to eat and she just, she'll just tell me, Mark, you know, I'm, I, I'm here to support you. I want to love you and I want to stand by you. That means a lot and that's encouraging. And I hope that you, each one of you have that. But there's been times where I feel like, boy, I've fallen short. I haven't been all that I should be. But at the end of the day, I pillowed my head knowing there is somebody that loves me. There's no greater feeling to know that, hey, somebody loves me unconditionally. That keeps you going. That gives you, gives you strength. And maybe you, you can go face the, the, the battles at work or you can go face the battles here or there. But if you know that somebody loves you unconditionally, boy, it means so much. Even though you might fail them, but it's good to know there might be a wife or there might be a husband or there might be some friends. Boy, that's a great thing. But you think about this, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords right here in John chapter number 13, he said he loved them unto the end. Jesus Christ himself, he says, hey, disciples, I love you. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep on loving you. You might fail me. I'm not going to quit loving you. I, I love you with an unending love. And his desire for you and I is he, he wants to love us, and he does love us, but his desire is that he wants us to love him in return. He says, hey, I love you so much. I sent my son to die on the cross for you, to give you eternal life. Now, would you love me in return? He's coming down to Brother Bobby, and he's coming to Bobby or, or others or Miss Susan or Brother Allen. He, he comes to us and he says, I love you. Will you love me back? So tonight we want to look at this thing of um, your faith and your love. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse 8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, he knew what we were going to be. He knew we were going to fall short. He knew we were going to be sinners, but yet he loved us. You know, if there's anything that should inspire us or motivate us to love God, it's the fact that, hey, God loves me. I can love him back in return. You're not getting this tonight, are you? But God loves us. You know, if there's anything that should cause us to give our all to him, it should be God's love. If there's anything that should cause every fiber of our being to be consumed with God and serving him, it should be the fact that God loves me, that God loves you from the front row all the way to the back row. God loves us. He loves you. Now, wait a minute. In my own life, when I've asked my wife to marry me years ago, uh, way back, I think it was December. Let me try to do the math here. December. Good night. I'm glad she's not in here. She's going to say it was this date. Uh, December, I think it was ni 19 or never mind. Forget it. But when I asked her to marry me, okay, uh, there was some, and then when we actually tied the knot, there were some stipulations that came with it. There was some responsibilities. There was also some accountability that came with that relationship. And so tonight, I want to give you three basic things about God's love. You say, well, this, this sounds like it's going to be an ooey-gooey message. Well, hopefully it will be to some degree, but I pray that it's going to challenge us to want to do more for God because of being here tonight. Number one, I'd like to say it is a divine love. 
God's love is a divine love. You know, when he said he loved them, that was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all wrapped up into one saying, hey, he loved them unto the end. Look at John 15 and verse number 9. It says, as the Father, this is Jesus speaking. He says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So God, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, God's the Father has loved me, and now that I've received that love, I love you. And so we see that it is a divine love. God loves us. Who could ever understand the love of the Father that he has for his son, the love of the Father that he has for us as his dear children? You know, no songwriter can ever do it justice there's no poet that has ever just laid it out just perfectly. Oh, we try, we've talked about it, we, we preach about it, we sing about it, but we can never really do it justice. We can never really cover the full depths of the love of God. We can never really comprehend the love of God to its fullest. It's unexplainable. It's incomprehensible. It's unfathomable. It's, 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 it's really puzzling if you think about it. It's perplexing. It's baffling to us if you really think about it. Why would God love me? Why would God love you? It's inexplicable. It's unparalleled. The songwriter said years ago when he wrote The Love of God, it says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child, hey, that was me. I was the erring child. He reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure. The love of God. I can't explain it, but it's a divine love. It's a holy love. It's a divine love. Number two, it's also a definite love. It's a definite love. You could say it's a devoted love. You might say you can't get away from it. You might, you could, you, you, you'd be right in saying that you can't get disconnected from it. You can't get unplugged from it. You say, well, Brother Mark, you don't know what I did. You don't know uh, where I've been. You don't know what I've said. You can't get away from God's love. You can't get disconnected from it. You can't get unplugged from it. God loves you. And this is really maybe a message I could preach on a Sunday morning, but, uh, but I'm kind of laying the groundwork of where we're going to go. But it's an it's inseparable love. We can't get away from it. Look at Romans 8 and verse number 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Hey, nothing can separate us from the love of God. All of hell can be against you, but you still can't be separated from God's love. All the demons in the world can be against you, but you can't be separated from God's love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because God's greater than all of that. God's greater than all the evils of this world. God's greater than all the dictators of this world and all the oligarchs of this world. God's greater than all this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's bigger than all that. How about Romans 8 and verse 38? It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Stop right there. That's a pretty big list right there. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come. Hey, whatever's going on right now, whatever might happen in the future, things present, things to come, that's a big list. Look at verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other creature, I love this, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, I'm glad it's an inseparable love. It's a definite love. It's, a, it's 100% sure. He loves you. He loves me. It's a definite love. Aren't you glad for that? It's so far reaching. Time can't make it fade. You can't put it down. You can't stop the love of God. Now let's be honest before, let me be honest before you and before, before God himself. And he knows this, but I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, my love for God sometimes is this. It's a roller coaster ride. You say, oh, Brother Mark, do you quit praying and do you quit reading your Bible? Uh, I'm not saying, I, although that could happen, I'm not saying I've quit doing that. But sometimes in my heart, maybe I come to church and I don't feel like I'm engaged. I don't feel like I've prayed for the pastor like I should. Or I don't, and the choir gets up to sing and Brother Thyra is up there leading the way. And boy, oh boy, what amazing God we serve. Or I still serve an amazing God. And we just think, ho-hum, ho-hum. My love for God, sometimes it's way up here. Sometimes it's way down here. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride sometimes. Sometimes it's so hot. It's like a, a roaring boil. Boy, if you were just to touch it, you'd burn your hand. Other times I think, boy, somebody could touch my love for God and they, they can just keep their hand there and not be burned at all. Why? Because it's just lukewarm. I pray that my love will stay on fire for Christ. But you know what? You think about the life of the disciples. You think about the 12 men that were around the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, they literally spent time with him. They literally traveled with him. You think about those 12 men. What happened? Two of them, one of them betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. For what? 30 pieces of silver. Another one ended up denying him. You know the story with Peter, and he said, you know, the, when the cock crows, you'll deny me thrice. Peter goes out and denies him, ends up cursing and just denies him and all that. You know why? Because our love can do this. It can be a roller coaster ride. You know, we look and we see this verse. It says, he loved them unto the end. He loved those disciples even to the very end. You know, they weren't always as faithful maybe as they should have been. Their love waxed and it waned and it just went up and down. Maybe there were times where they weren't as strong as they should be. But you know what? I'm glad, hey, Jesus just kept on loving them. He didn't give up on them. Boy, that ought to encourage you and that ought to encourage me. Hey, if he loved the disciples, even though they were gonna, one of them was going to betray him, one of them was going to deny him, he still loved them. And it says, hey, not only did he love them, but he loved them unto the end. Well, you know, when you look at them, and they even had times they had misguided ambitions. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Brother Mark? Well, if you were to turn over to Mark 10, we won't do that tonight. But in Mark 10, there was two of them, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. What'd they do? They come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we want you to fulfill our desires. And Jesus looks back at them and said, oh yeah, what do you desire? And here's what they said. Of all the things that they, that they could have asked for, here's what they asked for. They said, Jesus, we want to be first. We want, to one, we want one of us to be able to sit on your right hand, and the other one wanted to sit on the left hand. And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, hey, that's not in my power to give. And he says, then he goes on in the later part of that chapter. He says, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. They had misguided ambitions. They were so concerned about, hey, I just want to be first. I want to be sitting right next to, to you on the throne. Maybe one of us on the right hand, another one on the left. They, were, they had misguided ambitions. 
And Jesus says, hey, if you're going to be chief, you're going to be a servant. The Lord said, hey, I came not to minister, uh, but to minister and give my life a ransom for many. Jesus said, I didn't come to minister unto people, to be ministered unto, but I want to minister to you. And you know what? These disciples, they were concerned with notoriety, and they were concerned with prestige, and they were concerned with popularity, and they were concerned with preeminence and recognition. And then I wrote this statement down. James and John were looking for a seat, but Jesus was looking for a servant. You know, how many times in our, in our life, maybe we're so concerned about, boy, am I going to be seen? Am I going to be seen, you know, up in front of people or teaching or doing this or doing that? And Jesus says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. Don't be so involved in a seat. Don't be so involved in the notoriety or the popularity, but be concerned about just serving me, just serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They had misguided ambitions. They were more concerned about the popularity. You know, sometimes maybe I think maybe we're more concerned about singing rather than serving, you know, I always get nervous whenever people want to volunteer themselves to sing. I always think, boy, do, do, are they just wanting to be seen? Or is it coming from a heart of just wanting to serve others and try to be a blessing? I'm not saying you're wrong if you do that. I had somebody do that tonight to me, and that's not why I said that. But I wonder sometimes, are, are we more concerned about just being seen publicly than just serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And do we come and do we, do we sing and do we say, Lord, bless the words to this song. Bless it. May you help another believer. May you, may you help another Christian in here. God, use me as a vessel. Maybe sometimes our motives are self-seeking. You know, it wasn't really for him. It was more for our good and for our glory. But you know what? Despite the disciples having misguided ambitions, you know what the Bible says? He loved them unto the end. Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew their motives. But he said, hey, I still love you. You might have this ambition to sit on the right hand or sit on the left, but hey, I, I still love you. So it's a divine love. It's a definite love, even though we, we fail him at different times. You know, we're all going to fail him at times. I think about the disciples and how Jesus said to them, and maybe they had a crowd of the disciples, and Jesus comes to them and says, hey, you guys stay here. I'm going to go over here and pray. And he says, you pray over there, and I'm going to pray over here. What happened? Jesus goes back to the disciples. You think they were in earnest prayer? What were they doing? They fell asleep. I mean, he, he, they failed the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the King of Kings walked away and said, hey, stay here and pray, and when I come back, we'll get back together. Well, they were out. They failed the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In spite of our failures, Jesus just keeps on loving them. They failed to pray. How about this? Matthew 19, they failed to see the importance of children. You know, you've heard the story about how the people brought together some children and they wanted to bring the children to the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the disciples ended up rebuking the people and saying, what are, you, what are you doing? You know what the disciples did? They failed to see the importance of children. And may us at Woodland Baptist Church, may we never forget the importance of children. Boy, praise the Lord for a bus ministry. Praise the Lord for a pastor that has a burden to reach the lost through the bus ministry. Praise the Lord for a bus director that back here on a Wednesday night and faithfully serves and faithfully makes calls and makes sure we have bus drivers and does all this. Why? So we can reach the children. Why? Because we don't ever want to forget the importance of children. We don't ever want to forget there's people like in Eddie Butts who, who I think he's probably working tonight, but in Eddie Butts who grew up and was a bus child and now he's a bus captain and been serving 
serving the Lord for years and years. I can think of a guy that I went to Bible college with, and he's now a pastor in another state, and he was reached through the bus ministry. Why? Because there was a church that said, that said hey, I see the importance of children. Boy, Woodland Baptist Church, let's never forget the importance of children. But these disciples, they forgot the importance of children. They had failures. They had misguided ambitions. They, they didn't see the importance of children. But what did, what did Jesus Christ keep doing? He just kept on loving them. He just said, hey, in spite of your failures, in spite of your ambitions, in spite of your, your failure to pray, in spite of your failure to see the importance of children, I just keep on loving you. I'm just going to keep on loving you. Also, I see that in spite of their weakness, Jesus kept on loving them. What do we all call Thomas in the Bible? We call him what Thomas? Doubting Thomas. We all know that. We all, we all know that as Doubting Thomas. He had a time of weakness. You know what he said? He said, yeah, I've heard that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but I'm really not going to believe it until I see the nail prints in his hand, until, until I see the nail prints in his feet, until I see the, the wound in his side. I, I don't really believe it. He was having a time of weakness. You know what most of us would have done? If we had a disciple maybe that was, maybe, maybe was following the Lord and, and had that time of weakness, you know, frankly, what most of us probably would have done, we would have said, Go on, I knew you didn't have any real faith. I knew you weren't the real thing. I knew you weren't the real deal. You, were, you just put on like you believed in Christ. That's, is it just me that would think that? Or, 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 I mean, Jesus could have done that, but you know what he said? He said, hey, I'm just going to keep on loving you. And you know what he did? He goes over to Doubting Thomas, and he said, Thomas, touch my hands. Touch my feet. Look, there, there's the... The nail-scarred hands, the nail-scarred feet. There's the wound in my side. Jesus was long-suffering. He said, in time, in, in time of your weakness, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm just going to keep on loving. I'm glad that he kept on loving the disciples. Why? Because that's a picture. He keeps on loving us. He loves us despite our failures. There was a story years ago of a father and the two sons, and, and the two sons were talking to each other. And you know how sometimes those older, older brothers can be, you know, kind of bullying. And so the older brother was talking with the younger brother brother and he said he said uh, you know so and so he called his name he said if you do such and such dad is really not going to love you anymore and the dad you know how his dad we peep it we, we like to listen in on those conversations and and so the dad caught wind of it and he said son come here and so he called the older son over and he said son you know I heard what you said to your brother and he said that's not exactly right he says I understand this when you do good I'm, I'm going to love you with a good love but when you do bad, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to love your brother, but I'm going to love you with a hurting love. And you know, I wonder if Jesus looks down at us and we think, boy, we've messed up and God doesn't love us anymore. God says, hey, when you do good, I'm, I'm going to love you. When you do bad, I'm going to love you. I might love you with a hurting love, but I still love you. And you know, God the Father up in heaven, he says, hey, when you do wrong, I, I, I'm not justifying, I'm not condoning it, but hey, I'm going to love you with a hurting love. Thank God he just keeps on loving us. So number one, it's a divine love. Number two, it's a definite love. And then I like this. This side, if, if you can see my notes, you'd probably laugh, but I've got a little literal picture of an airplane landing because here's where we're going to come in for the landing right now. It is a, dr a driving love. The love of God is a driving love. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 14. It says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. 
um, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You know what the love of Christ is? It constrains us. You say, what does the word constrain means? It means to, to hold together. It means to compel. It means to preoccupy. You know, basically it means we could be doing other things, but the love of Christ constrains us. It preoccupies us. You know, I want to ask the question, why does a bus worker give up their part of their Saturdays and part of their Sundays to go out and reach children and reach teenagers? and try to reach parents with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the love of Christ constrains them. It compels them. It, it holds them together. It, it preoccupies them. They could be doing other things, but why? The love of Christ constrains them and says, hey, you, you want to reach the children for Christ. You want to reach teenagers and adults for Christ. You think about the apostle Paul. You know, he was the, 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 the he murdered Christians. And you think about the power that he had and probably the prestige and that that realm and that circle and then he gets born again he gets saved and he starts serving Christ what compelled him I mean what what drove him he said it right there for the love of Christ constraineth us Boy, does the love of Christ constrain you. Paul says he had stripes and he had imprisonments and he had stonings and he had all kinds of perils and perils of robbers and perils of men and perils of countrymen, all these different things. He suffered hunger and coldness and nakedness and thirstings. And he said, on top of all that, he said, I've got the care of all the churches. What, what constrained the apostle Paul? What kept him going? It was the driving love. It was the love of Christ that kept him going. I want to say to you and me, boy, when things get going rough and you're discouraged and you think, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can just keep on going. Think about the love of Christ. Think about the fact that, hey, he loved you and he died for you, gave his son for you. Boy, don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Just keep on going and serving him. You're here tonight. Maybe you're tired or maybe you're suffering a setback or a discouragement or some depression is hit. Boy, just keep on going. Put one foot in front of the other. Just keep on going. It's a driving love. It ought to constrain us. Some other definitions I wrote down of constraint is it overmasters us. It, it takes control of us. It should be our master. It should take control of us. It should take charge of us. Let me ask you, are you controlled by the love of Christ? When you're at work and maybe somebody begins to tell a dirty joke, are you constrained by the love of Christ to say, boy, I don't want to let those into my, that, that, that uh, joke into my ears? Or when somebody begins to, to gossip about somebody and you say, boy, I'm, these, eyes, these ears shouldn't be listening to that. I'm going to step away. Or when some thought comes across your mind, you, boy, do you think, boy, the love of Christ, I've got, to, I've got to please the Lord. It constrains me. It preoccupies me. It, it masters me. It compels me. It holds me to together. It's a driving love. You know, there's one thing, it's one thing to say, I love the Lord. There's a, there's really a talk love, but there's also a walk love. And may our walk love be way louder than our talk love. Galatians 2 and verse number 20, here's the apostle Paul again. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. There's the faith. There's your faith. And then he says, who loved me. There's your love. Who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm crucified with them. Boy, I'm just dead to self. I'm dead. 
You can, you can say what you want. You can do what you want to me, but I'm crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Boy, I want that to be my desire, that Christ lives in me. When people look at me, I don't want them to see Mark Leone. I want them to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's my faith. And why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. You know, we could really call it a restraining love. I said earlier that the, the constrain means to preoccupy and we could be doing other things. Let's be honest tonight. Each and every one of you could be somewhere else tonight, but you chose to be in the house of God. Why? Because God's love constrains you. God's love compels you to be in the house of God. You know, we could be focused on other things. We could be doing other things. We could be telling dirty jokes, or we could be harsh all the time, or we could think dirty thoughts. We could do all that, but why? hopefully we don't. But we could be doing all that, but we could be listening to sinful things, but but we shouldn't because why? The love of Christ constrains us. You know, years ago, this was probably about 18 years or so ago, and uh, my wife and I were living in California, and we really thought we'd spend the rest of our life out in California, and that was where I was born and raised and everything. And so we began to look for uh, a place to live. Some would call it a home. Most of you would probably just call it a glorified apartment. Uh, you know, they were very expensive back then. We were looking, this was back... 18 years ago, it must have been around 2003, 2004, but we were looking to, to maybe buy something. Houses were just outrageous. You know, just a little small little shack would run you five, fifty, six, seven dollars $700,000. And I literally went back to California just a few weeks ago, and these small little houses, the pastor of the church out there told me the houses there are now going for $2 million. I'm talking like 13, 1,400 square feet. You know, just a small little, you know, land. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, but it's right there in the middle of the Silicon Valley and everything. But, but we were looking to buy some. We knew we couldn't afford a house. But we were looking for uh, what you would call a condo. Really, it's just kind of a glorified apartment. And they would go in and they, the, the developer would buy a large apartment complex. And they'd throw in some granite, you know, and maybe redo a little bit of stuff. Throw in some new carpet and paint. And they'd, call it, they'd now call it a condo. And so the, we were looking at a two-bedroom, one-bath condo. $275,000. That was back in 2003, 2004. Um, but you know what? As we looked at different condos, um, you know, you, they, each condo would have its own HOA, you know, a homeowners association. And you know what they would do is anytime we would go look at a house, one of the questions that either myself or the real estate agent would ask is, do you have a copy of the CCNRs? That just means covenants, conditions, and restrictions. And so we would always look at that and kind of see what are the stipulations, how much do you have to pay a month, you know, it was crazy. Some of those HOAs would run three and $400 a month, and you're thinking, what do I get for that, you know? Oh, a, a lawn mowing, that's wonderful, you know? Uh, I can go buy my own, own, own lawn mower, but they would take care of some other things. But, uh, but you know what, when we get saved, God gives us, really, he gives us a document. It's called the Bible. It's really our covenants, conditions, and restrictions for us. You know, in a, in a one for a homeowner's associate, it'll tell you, you know, maybe you need to have quiet time. You can't be loud from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Or, or you can't have towels off the railing or you can't have bikes down the hallways. And there's all these different rules and everything. But you know what? When we get born again and when we're saved, you know, there are certain things that God expects from us as believers we are to live like a child of God. Let me ask you tonight, how deep is your love for him? 
Is it deep enough that it causes us to give to him? I'm not talking about just your wallet, but I'm talking about does it, does it do enough inside of you that causes you to want to serve him? The Bible says in John 14 and verse number 15, it says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. What are the commandments of God? Right here in the 66 books of the Bible, this is our covenant conditions and restriction. This is what we should covenant to obey. This, these are the conditions to the Christian life. These are the restrictions of the Christian life. It tells us what we as believers should not do, what we should do. There are some things that we should abstain from. There are some things that we should be involved in. God wants us to love him. God wants us to not just love him, but to stay in love with him. Maybe you're here tonight and you used to, let's just be honest, maybe you're here tonight you used to be in deep love with Christ. You used to love maybe God's people. You used to love God's word. You used to love God's church and God's preaching. But somewhere along the line, like Peter, it says he followed, but he followed afar off. You know, we can be guilty of that in our own life. We can be guilty of following Christ afar off. You know, because of that, Peter, uh, because of the fact that he followed afar off, what did he end up doing? He ended up denying him. What did Jesus still do? He still went out and sought out Peter. And you know the story. If you know the Bible, you read into Acts and the rest of the Bible. Boy, 3,000 people being saved. Peter was there for that. Why? Because Jesus kept on loving him. Maybe you're here tonight, you're beating yourself up. You think, boy, I've had a time of failure. I've had a time of weakness. I've, I used to have a place to stand and everyone knew I stood there, but now I don't stand there anymore. Maybe you're following, but you're following afar off. You know what? Peter got back up. Why? Because Jesus kept on loving him. Dear Santa God, I want to remind you tonight, hey, maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've, you've committed some sin that you just think no one can forgive and God won't forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He'll forgive you. All you have to do is confess it. Get back up. One of my most favorite verses in the Bible is uh, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Hey, don't beat yourself up. God still wants to forgive you. God still wants to use you. You know, historians tell us that when Peter ended up dying, that he, historians tell us that he, he felt so unworthy to be crucified on a cross just like Jesus. When he said, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus did, he said, put me upside down. And Peter literally died on a cross upside down because he said, hey, I'm so in love with Christ himself, I don't even feel like I can die the same way he died. That was the same one that denied Christ some time back. The same person. Dear Christian, maybe you've fallen tonight. You think, I can't be used again. God wants to use you. Peter was a man that was constrained by the love of Christ. It was a driving love. It drove him. He was preoccupied with the things of God. Aren't you glad that the Bible says he loved them unto the end? So we see our faith in God's love. It's a divine love. It's a definite love. And then lastly, number three, it's a driving love. Let me ask you tonight, how is your faith towards God tonight? Does the love of Christ drive you? Does it motivate you? Or do you just go through the Christian life, ho-hum, another Sunday morning, another Sunday night, another Wednesday night, let's go to church. I want my kids to be able to see me. Is there real love there? Is it a driving love that's, boy, that love constrains me. That love restrains me. That love compels me. That love 
preoccupies me. Boy, what would it be Sunday morning if every one of us come into the house of God and we're compelled by the love of Christ and pastor stands up to, to just welcome us and we're like, hey man, good, it's good to be here. And then Brother Thyer gets up and leads the choir and they begin to sing, I still serve an amazing God or, or for all he's done. And boy, we just are praising the Lord, excited about it. Boy, if we come in the heart of having a constraining love governing our life, it'll make a difference in the way we live. It'll make a difference in what we are involved in. It'll make a difference what we abstain ourselves from. Does it cause you to be focused on the things of Christ? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. Boy, I'm so glad he loved us unto the end. He loved those disciples. He loves us unto the end. Hey, no matter what we do, he's there for us. With every head bowed and every